Thank you so much. Family uh, is something we've been celebrating this morning, and family is a, is a big deal, isn't it? I think whatever your experience of family, whether you've had positive or negative experience, I think intuitively we all kind of know family is it's an important thing. And being in a family, having a family, it's a big deal. The idea of being accepted just as you are, and included and loved in a family environment, I think for all of us is, is at the very least an attractive idea to us. And today I want to look at one of the finest and best loved stories that Jesus told while he was on earth. And through it, I think we get a glimpse of just why this idea of family resonates so deeply within us. This, that for all of us, it, it seems like an attractive thing. But also we see in it how whatever our experience might have been so far and whatever our earthly experience of family is, there is an invitation to a fullness of family life found within this story. It's not just for the lucky few, but everybody can get involved in it. Everyone can experience it. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 15, and I'll be reading from verse 11. Um, if you've got a Bible, do turn there and read along um, with your own Bible. But if not, the words will appear on the screen behind me. They're already there. There you go. And he said, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. We have been celebrating family life, and here we see at the end a celebration. But children can be ungrateful, can't they? And my mum, um, who is here today, tells a story of me when I was three years old, um, one Christmas. And I was a typical three-year-old um, who was excited for Christmas and looking forward to the day. And 
my mum and my dad and my wider family have prepared for me this beautiful and wonderful array of gifts for me to open on Christmas. And I am told I was very excited for the day. Is that correct? I'm getting a nod. And so I, with enthusiasm, started to rip into my first gift and tore the wrapping paper off and saw the gift before me and was completely unimpressed. And so moved it to one side and moved on to the next gift and tore the wrapping paper off and saw what was inside and was completely unimpressed and made my way through every single gift each time. Completely unimpressed? Completely unimpressed. And over here was a pile of expensive, lovely, wonderful gifts. Over here, a three-year-old, sulking, unimpressed, ungrateful. And I wish I could say this was an isolated incident, but then as I grew a bit older and I can remember this kind of thing, whenever I wanted something, I never wanted something. I needed something. And I didn't just need something. I'm getting big nods here from the front row. <laughs> I didn't just need something. I needed that something now. And my ingratitude manifested itself in, I don't care what you've given me so far. I don't care what I've already got. I need this thing right now. All children are ungrateful. But I don't think I ever went as far as this son that we see in our story. This son comes to his father, and in verse 12, he says to him, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He's talking here of his inheritance that is due to him. But he's saying, I can't wait. I want it. I need it. I need it now. And essentially what he is saying to this father is, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. And you know, in any culture, that's a bit of a no-no. You don't go up to your dad and essentially say, I wish you were dead. But in this culture, where showing honor and respect to your elders, and particularly to your parents, particularly to your father, I mean, you just do not do this. It was shameful. This just would not happen. And the father says, yes. And immediately, this is a, 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 a glimpse into this father who seems unusually generous that he would grant this son's request but the focus of the story remains on the son and the son receives his inheritance but he does not do well we see him as you probably picked up he goes immediately into a foreign country and he gathers all that he has this vast amount and it just says very shortly in one quick verse he squandered it all in reckless living it's just no elaboration. It's quick. It's jarring. He had it all, and then it's gone. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, then in verses 14 and th through to 16, he has nothing. A famine hits, and he goes to work with pigs. And as he eats with the, as he's with the pigs, he then longs to eat their food. And again, we, from our culture, we think, well, that seems a bit unsavory. That doesn't seem very pleasant at all. But in this culture, in Jewish culture, to even go near pigs was just a complete no-no. You just stay away from pigs. You do not, if you see them, you keep your distance. And so then to feed pigs is your job. I mean, that is horrific. To eat their food 
that is just unthinkable. You do not eat pig's food. Jesus here is showing this picture of the son heaping levels and levels of shame and degradation upon himself. He's lost everything. He's brought shame on himself and on his family. And now he's doing one of the most despicable acts he possibly could. It's a, it's a picture of a, a pitiable, lost, unlovable son. And then comes one of the finest words that we can find in the whole Bible. We see it here, we see it in other places where it seems like all, all hope is lost. All, there is no way back. Surely there's no return from this situation. You may not think when you see it that it is the finest word in the Bible. You might think this is not glory, this is not wonder, but it's the first word of verse 17, the word but. It tells us there's a turning point. It tells us something, maybe, perhaps, some way, this is not the end for the son. That he's not at his end point. And Jesus then continues the story. And remember, this culture where Jesus is telling the story, this is a verbal culture. Stories would come through through oral storytelling, just like this. And so he didn't have it written down, his, his People around him didn't have the, the paper copy to follow along, didn't have fancy PowerPoints behind him. Um, I don't think Jesus would have used PowerPoints. He would have told this story verbally. And so when they tell the story verbally, they would use the same word. To, uh, the wor they would repeat words to give and, uh, the, the main message of their story and the themes of their story to provide a kind of rhythmic emphasis to what they're saying so their listeners would pick it up. And so these listeners, just as they're feeling disgust at this son, how could he do that? Who is this son? They then hear Jesus say, but... And then over the next eight verses, there's one word that they hear repeated over and over and over again. Father. Seven times, Father. That as Jesus brings this sorry story through to a climactic restoration and dramatic redemption of this son, there's one word his listeners keep hearing over and over again, Father, 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 Father. Jesus is saying, this is the one that I really want you to look at. This is the main point that I want you to see in this story. I want you to see the Father. In his teaching, Jesus often uses, used um, helpful pictorial language to help us understand who God is and what he is like. He's done it already in chapter 15, just the, the two stories before. He talks of how God is like a, a man who is looking for a lost sheep and like a woman who is looking for a lost coin. But here now, he's doing something far more direct in his teaching. He's not saying this is who God is like and what he is like. He's now saying this is who God is. He's not like a father. He is father. This is perhaps the main central message that Jesus actually came to proclaim in his teaching. 
I have come to reveal to you that God is Father. In John chapter 6, he says, the living Father has sent me. And then countless times throughout all four Gospels, I've far too many examples for me to, to reference to you. He, talking about God, he talks about him as your Father in heaven or our Father in heaven or the heavenly Father. Perhaps most famously, maybe we're most familiar with when the disciples come to him and say, how do we pray to God? He says to them, well, you start by saying, our Father in heaven. We can be so familiar with it because Jesus speaks about it so much, but he is unswerving in his consistency of what he has come to do and how he talks to God. He says, I have come so that you would know God, and to know him is to know him as Father. Again, not like a father, not just a helpful picture for us to understand a little bit better of some of the attributes that God has. No, Jesus says, I've come to show you that God is Father. And because the Bible is clear throughout that God is unchanging, this is who God has always been. This is really important for us to understand. This probably is not going to be super profound revelation for you, but there was a time where I was not a father. That when I was three, year, three years old, unwrapping my presents and being super ungrateful. I was not at that point a father. But then later on in life, when Jackson was born, I became, if you like, a father. That everything about my world changed when uh, my son entered into the world and new responsibilities, new, learned lots and lots of new things. But in a sense, fundamentally, I changed as a being. My role and who I was in this world became different because my son was here and now I was a father. I definitely wasn't a father when I had cats before that. No matter what Anna might say, cats are not children. No matter what any of you might say. Although they're very welcome to our carol service. <laughs> Anybody listening to that on the recording is going to be like, what on earth? There was a callback to a previous reference in our meeting. Sorry, we don't include our notices in the recording. Not so with God. There was no point where he became a father. No point where he became God the Father. Eternally, he has existed in what we call... Do I need to do something different? I'm, I'm making buzzing noises. I do tend to do that. Eternally, God has existed in what we call the Trinity. Three persons of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct people, each of them separate and fully God, but together, inseparably, indivisibly come together to make up the one God. That is who he has always been. This is his very essence, the very fundamental nature of who God is, is he is Father, Son, Spirit the deepest core of who he is, that he has eternally existed in this interlocking relational dynamic of father, son, spirit, father to son, son to father, God as family. This is why, you might think, what on earth was that theological tangent all about? This is why family is such a big deal. 
Because it's who God is. We talk, Fumi mentioned it earlier, we talk endlessly here, it seems, about being a family following Jesus. We don't just talk about it because it's nice and inclusive and it scans nicely on our website and people might come along because they read about it. We talk about it because it's who God is. And that's why we take Sundays like we do today to celebrate family. Not just because, you know, it's nice. And it's quite sentimental, and, you know, the kids are super cute when they come up to the front, which they are. That is not the fundamental reason that we do it. We do it because God has designed family with fathers and mothers and babies and children as an overflow into his creation of who he is. That when we see family units in action, we are getting a greater revelation of the, the person of God and who he is. God loves family. He rejoices when babies are born and kids are potty trained and timeouts are correctly administered and timeouts are then correctly administered again and again and again. He rejoices as bikes are learned to be ridden and School reports are celebrated, tears are wiped away, and tantrums are endured and endured and endured. He loves it, all of it. He loves it because it's family, it's him. It's an outworking of his very nature into his creation. He looks at it and says, this is good when he sees it. And yet, here, the message that Jesus has come to proclaim is he saying, however good that is, however good family units are, there is even more of family for all of us to find and to experience. He says, babies, they're a good thing. Healthy, secure, loving family units, they are a good thing. But the good thing is always meant to point beyond itself to the better thing that we can have. That God the Father, the Father, the definition of Father is drawing us to himself, to relationship with him so that we can experience, all of us, whoever we are, the trueness and fullness of what family life really is. Look at how the Father loves, uh, longs to have us in his home and in his family. In verse 20, you might have picked it up, the dramatic moment of the 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 tale. The son arises and starts his journey back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The commentators say that this is a picture of Not just that the father happened to be, you know, doing a bit of yard work, looked up and like, oh my goodness. This is a picture of a father who has restlessly been yearning to see his son and has been pacing his porch and constantly looking out and trying to get a glimpse of him. Maybe he will be coming back. And then weeks, maybe months have passed and he gets a glimpse of his son in the horizon. He sees him. And what does he see when he sees his son? Not his failure, not his shame, doesn't see 
a person covered in disgrace or uncleanliness. He looks to him and all he sees is his son. All he sees is his son. And in this culture, I mean, dignified older men, they would not run anywhere. You wouldn't see them out on their morning jog. And particularly a father-son dynamic. A father would always wait for a son to come to him and show him some kind of respect. That is just how the dynamic works. Not this father. He cannot wait. He is not waiting. Verse 20, we sit here him moved by compassion. He then starts to run and run and run. And remember, it's a long way off. He is running and running and running, stops for a water break, runs and runs and runs, just so he can get to his son. And then he embraces him and he kisses him. This is a stunning picture of the unconditional love and acceptance and total full forgiveness of the Father to the Son. This is the kind of family welcome that we can expect when we come to God the Father. That when we are still a long way off, when we feel totally and completely unworthy, when we know we have let him down, when we know we have covered ourselves in disgrace, we've blown it, and surely this time you've gone too far. Surely this time he won't let me back. There's no way back in for me. You've squandered it all in reckless living. You feel like everything you've ever been given, you've wasted, you've thrown it away. You are a disappointment. You are a rejected one. No matter what, he sees us, and he sees us as we are. He knows exactly what we have done. He knows exactly who we are. And he sees us and he runs. He sees us and he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs and embraces us so that we can know we are loved. We, as we are, are accepted. We are forgiven in full. And I imagine that some of us, when we hear those words, our immediate thinking goes to that thing that we did when we were 16. Or we think of the hidden shame that is buried in our past that we have never opened up with anyone about because you just can't. It's too bad. Or maybe even the habitual struggle that you're in right now, that you've come today and you've been coming for weeks and you put on the right face for church, but you think if people knew what I did and what I get up to, and you would think, this is not the welcome that God would give me. He couldn't welcome me like this. I am unforgivable. I am unlovable. The picture Jesus gives us is of the most unlovable, the most unforgivable one, and yet he is embraced. He is run to just as he is. If he embraces this son, 
he embraces you this morning. This is the outrageous beauty of the family of God. It really is for everyone. It's for everyone. You cannot disgrace your way out of this. You cannot go too far away from his love. You cannot disqualify yourself. Just one moment as you turn, he will run to you and welcome you home. And not just welcome, but celebrate. In verses 22 to 24, we read this picture of the celebration and the party beginning. He says, get that best robe, put a ring on his finger, put some shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf, let's eat and celebrate. And we get this wonderful picture, the fullness of the picture of what family life with the father looks like. He's a father of compassion and affection Love and forgiveness at all times, joy and delight when he sees his children, and particularly as the party starts, just the the generosity and the abundance of the father's house for his children. That if you're a child in the father's house, he will always meet your needs. These children never go lacking. None of them are ever overlooked. There are no favorites in this house. They are shown the goodness of his pleasure in, this, in, his, in his place. And he delights in providing for his children. Never once does this father put his own needs first and his own interests first. Never once does he have a kind of grumpy, selfish morning where he thinks, oh, like you look after yourself. No, no, he finds delight in just giving and giving and giving and giving to his children. This is the perfect family household that we are invited into. And the really good news, those are not my notes. I can tell you the notices again. The really good news for those of us that do have children is that Jesus is not here putting on a parenting seminar. He is not saying that here is a picture of a good dad Here's a picture of a good parent. Now I want you to get on with it. Come on, take a few notes, learn a few lessons. This is the dad that you need to be. This is the the household you need to run. This, of course, is. It's It's a beautiful picture of fatherhood. It is the picture of parenting at its best. It's aspirational. It is what we should be modeling and looking to reflect as best we can. But what Jesus is saying is it is not your job to be this parent. It's an impossible burden to carry. To always be able to meet every need of your children, to be perfect in love, to be entirely selfless, that is is just a weight that is too heavy to shoulder. If we think we need to be this parent, it will break us. We cannot do it. We cannot provide the perfect family life that our children need. It's not our job to. Our job is simply to try and lead our children to the one who can, to the father who does create the perfect household. And so if if I was to have one piece of advice for 
parents here, perhaps parents have, that have just had their children dedicated, if, if you want to be the best mother, if you want to be the best father that you can possibly be for your children, learn to be a daughter. Learn to be a son. Our children, they do not need us desperately trying to strive so that we can meet every single one of their needs, that we can meet their needs, fix their problems, fight all of their battles, because we will not be able to do it. What our children need is they need to see us as examples of sons and daughters. They need to see us as weak, inadequate people who are dependent on our own uh, heavenly father. And parenting gives us plenty of opportunity to do that. I have not felt more like this son in this story than I have in the last four and a half years since I've become a parent. Before I was a parent, I thought I was doing all right. But there's nothing like being a parent and the when you're a parent, did you know this? When you're a parent, you're always a parent. <laughs> There's no time where you're not a parent when you become a dad. And there's nothing that reveals the depth of my selfishness to me, quite like having a child. How easy it is for me to feel just the smallest thing provoked to anger and frustration. Who cares if it takes an extra three seconds for your children to put their shoes on? Apparently, I care a lot. Whether it comes out externally, internally, just feeling the frustration. Every day I have times where one of my children, Jackson or Calvin, they've come to me with some need and I can name a time where each day I have not responded, I've not listened properly, I've not responded with the love and the kindness that I should have and that they should have had. But I've just seen it as a problem to be solved as quickly as possible so I can get them out of my hair and get on with what I want to do. Nothing like parenting to make us feel inadequate and weak. But do you know what? It means that there's nothing like parenting to give us plenty of opportunity to experience and delight in his unconditional love and acceptance and affection and total forgiveness of us in our brokenness and in our inadequacy. This is the best gift that we can pass on to our children. The delight and joy in knowing that every single time we get it wrong, every day when we can list the many ways that we have fallen short, is just an, another opportunity for us to lift our head up, turn around and see our Father running to us in his grace. Learning once again and knowing that we can experience his embrace and for him to show us his grace time and time and time again. And this is Jesus' invitation for all of us this morning, whether you're a parent or whether you're not. We can come to him in our shame and our disgrace, knowing that we are weak, we're inadequate, we've made mistakes. Maybe even this week you have made big mistakes. And you've come this morning thinking, I'm just going to pretend that hasn't happened and just hope God doesn't really see me. 
He sees you and he runs to you. He wants you to know his embrace this morning. And Jesus says in verse, uh, John, John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is how we can have assurance that we can come. This is how we can know that we too will be received as sons and daughters. Because Jesus says, if you come and identify with me, I will show you the way to God the Father. You can know the Father through me. I will draw you into this family life with the Father. Whoever you are, whatever your biological family experience, whatever you've done, in your deepest, darkest past, whatever you've done this morning, you can come. Share in his sonship. Come and find your place as a son and daughter of the Heavenly Father. Come and know that you are loved, accepted, embraced, forgiven, just as you are. Come and be welcomed home to enjoy the generosity and the abundance of the Father's house. Come to Jesus and experience what family really is meant to be about. Can we have the band? We're not going to sing a song, but I just want to create a moment for us to respond and pray.